Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional film. For the dozen in attendance, and for the handful listening around the world, it's time for Remake Rumble! Season's greetings and welcome to Remake Rumble, the podcast that fits a classic film against its remake, in a dazzling display of motion picture pugilism. Two films enter, one film leaves. My name is Johnny Lee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, David, the War on Christmas Ratigan. Merry Christmas, David. Merry Christmas, Johnny. And Daniel, the... Wait a minute, you're not Daniel. Merry Christmas, Johnny. You know, I must be the ghost of Christmas idiots. Usual co-host Dan can't be with us this episode as he's found seasonal employment in a factory somewhere near the North Pole. But Christmas, it's a time for family, isn't it? So please, a warm, nepotistic welcome to my brother, filmmaker, enough collaborator with myself and David, Matthew Lee. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, it's a real humbug dinger this episode, as Charles Dickens' definitive Crimbo story, A Christmas Carol, sees two of its most beloved adaptations, 1988's Scrooge and 1992's The Muppet Christmas Carol, in a serious festive throwdown. As always, we'll find out which film has been naughty and which has been nice, as well as test David and Matt's film knowledge in a battle of winter wits. So, expect spoilers aplenty as we enter the remake rumble ring. He's the world's greediest man. It's Ebenezer Scrooge. Until the magical night he meets someone extraordinary. Hello. The Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll drink to Mr. Scrooge, even though he is stingy and badly dressed. Yes, you won't hear a tad off base, sir. Frank Cross is more than the youngest network president in television history. Call security. Have them change his locks and toss him out of the building. Oh, he's fired? It's Christmas. Thank you. Call the county. Stop his bonus. See Bill Murray get Scrooged. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol was first published in 1843 and is perhaps the most famous Christmas story of all time. A blockbuster smash way back in the Victorian era that actually saw its first edition sell out before enchanting generations of readers with its excellent mix of festive cheer and gothic chills. It tells the story of old miser Ebenezer Scrooge, who, after being visited by a series of ghosts, begins to understand the true meaning of the season, arguably setting the template for most crimbo stories to follow, from Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Jingle All the Way, a personal favourite. But I'm sure the plot of A Christmas Carol is quite familiar to you all, the cultural behemoth that it is. Indeed, the story is probably just as known, if not more so, for its plentiful adaptations on stage, screen and more. I mean, who among us hasn't played Disney's A Christmas Carol on the Nintendo DS? Well, okay, none of us except for David, but you get the idea. (laughs) Today, we're looking at two particularly beloved movie versions of the story, 1988 Scrooged, which reimagines Scrooge as a cynical TV executive played by Bill Murray, and 1992's The Muppet Christmas Carol, a somewhat more faithful translation of the original text, albeit with more felt animals than Dickens envisaged. Now, Matt, I seem to recall actually watching The Muppet Christmas Carol with you when we were young, and I don't remember what you thought, but as the Scrooge of the family, I imagine you approach these films with some reticence. Yeah, I dislike uh, all forms of entertainment. I think watching films is for reprobates and work shirkers. Um, <laughs> I, I do remember watching it with you. Uh, I think we, I think we saw it in a cinema in Paisley, which is for for those of you who don't know, a town outside Glasgow. I don't think I was actually alive when the film came out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Thinking about it, if it's a Christmas film, my birthday's October, so 
I, I was possibly in a, in a cradle somewhere. <laughs> Not to suggest I'm the Christ child, I should add. Right. Um, yeah, so actually, the, the only reticence I had was that they were both Christmas films. And, well, it would be strange if one of them was and one of them wasn't. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not typically a fan of uh, of Christmas films or themed films. Um, but overall, I got a lot out of them um, thinking about the story and its various representations. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I watched them. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. And did one or other of them make a particular impact on you overall yeah yeah the 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 muppets i mean i have a lot of good things to say about the muppets and a lot of bad things to say about scrooge oh that's interesting so yeah what were your what was your overall thoughts on the muppets then perhaps we can start there yeah yeah sure um i just i just thought the whole thing was was really slick i thought there was no time wasted i thought it was an excellent example of kind of film working on several levels for for adults for kids the songs were well done the muppets were used in appropriate ways given their characters i love the way that michael kane he acts like you know they're they're normal humans right uh-huh. the, the muppets the muppets are all acting for laughs and he's he's it's it's like he's um you know in some some serious uh london stage performance uh <laughs> and, and and i think i, I so uh, I also reread or re-listened to Dickens's version. It's very faithful to Dickens's version, actually, surprisingly. So they don't really veer off the path at all, which uh, you know could be good, could be bad for for um, an adaptation, right? You know, you want to you want to select what works for a film. Here, I think it worked really well. Um, I didn't think I was going to enjoy it. I thought I was going to have to watch a sort of tiresome kids film where there were that was just slapstick all the way through. But I actually even enjoyed the slapstick, and I and I remember the line in particular where is is his name Rizzo the rat? Mm. Yes, yeah, where where he gets um where, where Gonzo accidentally lights his tail, and he's he's saying you know light the lamp, not the rat, light the lamp, not the rat. <laughs> I remember seeing that in the cinema, and and thinking when I was about seven, and thinking that was that was hilarious, and uh, brought brought back memories. Was that as funny this time around? It was actually it was it was just as funny, and actually it made me quite emotional <laughs> towards the the end. Um, <laughs> Scrooged, I a great idea, I think. Um, and and I, you know, there's there was a lot of potentially really clever storytelling going on here. Where you've got the kind of the two tales of Scrooge being told in parallel, the the one that he's trying to produce, Bill Murray's character, and his own tale. And I like the as Johnny sort of mentioned to me off the podcast, you know, that it being set in in the eighties in in New York, which is kind of at least in our, in our imaginations being this place of sort of greed. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it started off really well. I lo- I loved the intro adverts at the beginning of Scrooged. So Bill Murray's character, what's he called again? Frank Cross. Frank Cross. Yeah, he's a right. He's a TV executive, uh, and uh, he's he's producing uh, a Christmas special, and he's reviewing adverts for the network. Um, the first advert at least very, very amusing i like where that went where the christmas grotto scene turns into an action film where santa's grotto's being being assaulted i had high hopes yeah it's kind of verhoeven-esque i thought Exa- I yeah yeah exactly and then it was just sort of tone tone it was one tone after that right uh it was kind of like just really really energetic the whole way through there was lots of shouting i didn't really feel it had a good rhythm i don't think bill murray was a great villain in this in this context um it felt forced. It felt very forced. That's what I thought. Cool. There's lots um, you brought up there. I think we could we could dive into one thing. I wanted to mention before we forget is it's interesting you say that thing about Michael Caine because apparently he did say to Brian Henson, the director. This was his directorial debut, I believe. He said, um, "I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Right. I will never wink. I will never do anything muppety." 
I'm going to play Scrooge. Oh, God, that's a terrible impression. As <laughs> that was really great. Utterly, as if it's an utterly <laughs> dramatic role. And uh, there are no puppets around me. And I think that is um, part of the key to the success of the film is the the kind of the balance between the... The, the comedic Muppets on the one hand and the serious dramatic mm-hmm. performance from Kane on yeah. the other. And I think he, he is genuinely really fantastic in the role. I would like to say, well, not say, but ask, is Michael Caine's performance the definitive Scrooge performance? Because I, I think it could be. Mm. Yeah, and maybe the definitive Michael Caine performance. It's just, uh, I, I really respected Michael Caine a lot more. I mean, I never, I, I always thought Michael Caine was a good actor. You were, you were never disrespectful to him. I've never disrespectful to him, no. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I thought I thought he was fantastic in this. Yeah, there's um, something I really liked was the, the, I guess the range, the way that he, at the beginning, he's playing this you know, old grump, and he just seems heavy mm-hmm. um, and cold. And at the end, he's sprightly and leaping about. And I thought that was just a fantastic contrast that he managed to to get right. Yeah, I don't know if you quite get that contrast with Bill Murray. Um, although I actually probably prefer Scrooge, but... Well, maybe, David, you could say a little bit about that. What is it um, sort of overall that, that kind of grabbed you about Scrooge? Well, it's interesting to hear Matt say that he didn't like it because I actually thought just from from knowing Matt outside of this podcast, I would have thought that the general kind of sensibility of Scrooge would have been right up Matt's street. Like very Looney Tunes-esque, I would say, like very uh, exaggerated, cartoony, but also has this real darkness to it. I think that I I did it so interestingly, David, I did appreciate the tone Mm -hmm. for all the reasons you said. But for me, there were other storytelling problems, which which meant it couldn't deliver within the tone, within the context that it it was trying to achieve. So the tone of the opening advert parody great all the kind of slightly grotesque um characters of the, of the various various ghosts and spirits that visit him yeah in, individual jokes like um what are the his his version of marley the old boss who comes to warn him hayward some somebody hayward yeah love the visual gags of um, him drinking water and then the, the, the water pouring out of his body where, where <laughs> bill murray's character has, has shot him in the chest and the mouse like popping the little golf ball out of his skull yeah exactly exactly i think thing, things like that were all great but it just didn't, for me, have the right pacing. Bill Murray's always shouting. And to, yeah. to, to come back to what Johnny was saying, you know, Michael Caine's character shows an obvious development throughout, right? And you, and you can see him starting to change and the various visitations of the ghost having more of an effect on him as, as it goes through until he's reformed. Whereas with Bill Murray, it's uh, he's horrible, he's horrible, he's horrible, he's horrible, he's horrible, doesn't seem to learn anything. And then suddenly he has a revelation hmm. Um that didn't work for me. Yeah, I think that I'm perhaps somewhere in between you two, perhaps being slightly more towards Matt's position. I agree that I think the, the opening 20 minutes or so of the film, Scrooge, are the strongest. Um, I really also like the kind of Verhoeven, Gremlins-esque comedy at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I think that it loses its way. I think the middle bit's uneven, but still got its moments and then i think the end is terrible um it's a 20 minute long <laughs> dragged out sequence so specifically you're talking about his what his speech at the on the set yeah that's right so for me this was the worst thing about the film um so first of all i agree with matt that his transition he doesn't really seem to change very much and then he sees himself in the future and he's going to be it's his funeral and um for some reason that is the thing that makes him just switch 
And now suddenly he's he's a changed man. And I don't get what it was about that particular sequence that made him suddenly transition. Great production design. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, You've got to appreciate a very sleek, uh, what is that, sem- uh, crematorium. <laughs> um, nonetheless, I thought that, I mean, the ending, the end sequence, so basically he, he comes back from his, his, his um, visitation and he interrupts the live filming of this Christmas Carol adaptation that he's supposed to be managing. And he suddenly gives this big, long, rambling speech about the true meaning of Christmas, and then they burst into song at the end. And, I mean, for one thing, it just goes on way too long, and, um, you know, dozens of minutes of this stuff. <laughs> and I think one of, one of the issues with it is that it makes it all about him. So, he, you know, he interrupts this live television special to lecture everyone on the meaning of Christmas, whereas with scrooge it's just he feels this impulse to be nice to everybody and he's just demonstrating it you know sure don't tell he's um he doesn't feel the need yeah. to tell everybody um what he's learned he just he just goes out and, and does the nice stuff and i think that's that's um much more effective whereas in scrooge it feels like he's becoming the the center of attention um you know what about all those actors who put their, their soul <laughs> into making this production and i was just ruined because brian cross <laughs> has had this this spiritual awakening. Yeah, I, I I agree. Um also I didn't I didn't find any of it particularly profound. You know, may, maybe maybe if he delivered a great monologue with some words of wisdom for the the other characters and the audience to take away, I would have I would have appreciated it. But it just felt like he was asked to ad lib for as long as possible and then they kept it all in. Well, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> yeah, because it was. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I think it basically was. So apparently, if I remember this correctly, there was so I think Bill Murray thought for this scene he wanted like a big moment of of acting if you like um, uh-huh. where he was center stage and I think it was the, the writer said this was the most difficult bit to write and then Bill Murray took it and basically ad libbed it all anyway and apparently uh-huh. wouldn't keep to any of his blocking or anything like that he was just completely doing his own thing <laughs> and then uh-huh. apparently the writers were absolutely horrified. <laughs> It's quite um, funny because I, I, I had my, I thought in my head, oh, what well, Bill Murray? I, I, I really respect him as an actor, and he's, he's been asked to do this ridiculous scene. He must be so embarrassed to have to do this, and actually, it's all, all Bill Murray's creation. <laughs> yeah, I think the entire film was actually, from, from what I understand, Bill Murray had a lot of creative input because it was like his big return to acting. Interesting. I think he'd not been on the scene for like quite a few years. I think. It felt to me that last speech by Bill Murray, like not that it was you know him imparting words of wisdom, but more like his first meth episode or something. <laughs> been been away for several years and become a drug addict. I, I don't know. It's just it's funny. I think the actors made all, the writers, sorry, made almost exactly the same joke. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I wondered it because in its favor, I think one thing the ending does do is it plays on the promise that you're going to have this big dramatic thing at the end where there's this life performance mm-hmm. of the film and so i suppose the end is kind of foreshadowed in a way but i wondered if you could have something instead like frank cross is supposed to come on at the end of the of the show and give some speech on behalf of the studio this is his big moment to impress his boss but then he doesn't do that and instead he goes and has christmas with his 
family or or with his um, secretary, something like that. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah, or the love interest. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember anyone's names. <laughs> Claire, I think, was the love interest. Yeah, who who, who helps helps the shelter? He could have yeah could have had dinner with the homeless people that he's he's obnoxious to. Mm. Um, and you know, obviously his um. Uh, so Claire is supposed to be impressed with this speech, given her response to it in the film. But he's also just gone and made out with a dancer uh, under <laughs> under the mistletoe. Um, I mean, fair fair enough, it's mistletoe. But he's 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 gone he's gone and selected the most provocatively dressed woman in the <laughs> in the whole scene. And I, yeah, I don't know. It's very very odd to me. Um, David, well, maybe you can say a bit more about what you liked about the film. What were some other strong points for you in Scrooge? <laughs> now that we've ripped it apart. <laughs> so I'm, wor- I'm worried to say it now. Um, no, I mean, I would agree. I think that that final sequence is probably the bit that really didn't work for me either, actually. Um, although I was quite moved when the Tiny Tim character said his God blesses everyone. It was That was nice. That was quite sweet, I thought. Even though... It's basically telegraphed from the moment you first see that character and you know, obviously, this is going to be a parallel of A Christmas Carol. You know what's going to happen there. It's not exactly like it's a surprise that 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 occurs. Um, Although one of the things I do find quite interesting about this film, and this is another negative, I think, is the fact that Bill Murray's character never outright seems to um, reference the fact that he's reliving the Scrooge story even though it's quite obvious because he's, you know, he's putting on the live TV special as well. And that was something that I found quite odd, that it was quite a meta take on the story. And I suppose that's true for The Muppet Christmas Carol as well. But it didn't quite have that elegance of tying it specifically to the story as well. I I don't know. I don't know if you two thought that. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right there, actually. Um, And I think that the the kind of meta textual element to the film is that even the right word I mean, it sounds clever so i'll stick with it so the kind of metatextual <laughs> elements of the film um yeah it's kind of a strong point but i'm not sure if it ever quite pulls it off yeah i would say not normally it would be well it'd be too it'd be too obvious to reference it but it's so obvious that he's being visited by you know the same three ghosts of the the, the story he's trying to tell in his television production that I mean, he'd have to be an idiot not to, not to spot that it was happening. Right, exactly. Mm. Um, and there's some kind of fun stuff in that because I, I like the the ghost of Christmas Past, who is my favourite of the three Same ghosts. Here. And I think, like what you said earlier, Matt, I think the the actual depictions of the ghosts are really, really good, um, really funny. Like the the taxi driver with his horrible teeth and big cigar, and you know all that kind of stuff. But yeah, when he says something about like, oh, I you know I, I took Attila the Hunt to his family. And he was weeping or whatever. And kind of this idea that the ghosts of Christmas past have not just visited Scrooge, but actually they've been visiting like loads of different <laughs> like historical figures throughout the years. Mm-hmm. I find quite an amusing, um, quite an amusing idea. And I like the kind of the universe that that's creating, that loads of people are going through this kind of same experience and that these ghosts are out and about every Christmas talking to different people. I, I wondered as well, coming back to that kind of meta component to Scrooge, if those, maybe this is giving too much credit, but... So within, as we've said, within the, the, there's a film within a film that's being produced, this version of A Christmas Carol, and it's this very over-the-top, very American, vulgar adaptation <laughs> with backflipping tiny Tims and things and scantily clad dance routines and all the rest of it. And then you, you could see Scrooge itself as a as itself an extravagant version of A Christmas Carol. Um, so maybe, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. cleverly layered in that way. But, maybe, but then I think that could also be part of the problem because I think part of the part of the film is trying to say, oh look, Christmas is commodified and 
people's emotions are exploited to, to sell them this stupid stuff. But then by the end of the film, Scrooge, the film doesn't seem any better than that. Like that again, that kind of long sequence at the end seems to be doing the very thing that the film's criticizing at other points. Yeah. Maybe maybe they're saying there's there there's there's actually no redemption you can't change once you've once you've gone down this path. <laughs> maybe. <before. laughs> maybe. So David, we haven't heard much yet about your thoughts on Muppet's Christmas Carol. Yeah, that that probably seems surprising, doesn't it? <laughs> what what did, what did you think? Well, it's funny. I have actually until watching it for this podcast, have never seen um the Muppet Christmas Carol. So this was my first time ever um watching it and I do like the Muppets and obviously as has been well established on uh, on the podcast before i am a big disney fan so um this was an exciting first watch for me and what was the what was the um the outcome of that did you did it disappoint did it live up to the hype <laughs> it didn't disappoint i don't think i don't know if the muppets can ever disappoint truly although the muppets haunted mansion wasn't wasn't the best <laughs> thing in the world um <laughs> but it, i must admit it wasn't quite as compelling as i might have hoped although i do think as i said earlier in a lot of ways it feels like one of the more definitive christmas carol adaptations like i really do think michael kane's performance as scrooge is amazing mm. um although that's not to say that the muppets don't add a lot because i think they do and i think the comedy is just enough and the drama is just enough that it has this really nice balance i think but for me it didn't quite capture me in the way that i i might have liked that's interesting. I, I think I'm with Matt on this. I actually found it quite effective, actually. I found it quite emotional, which I think, again, is partly due to, to Michael Caine's performance. But more than that as well, I think everything like the way the ghosts are done, um, I thought they were quite quite powerful. I think something about those ghosts... The, the way ghosts the, are good. They're a bit creepy, though, I thought. Well, yeah. I mean, so maybe I that's, that's the point, but... There's something about... There's something kind of... <sighs> You know, I think this is obviously going to be interpreted as a, as a Christian story, um, but also there's something kind of fae-like about the the ghosts, which I think works well with the Muppets' puppetry mm-hmm. and lends itself a certain universality that I think it wouldn't if they were just you know angels or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about like say the ghost of Christmas Present who can't rem- he's just this massive big jolly green man who can't he can't really remember anything because he's so focused on enjoying the present. <laughs> I think there's something really n- nice about that. I thought that was so clever, and I, th- I think it's particularly good for for having like I said earlier work working on all these different levels where Rizzo's constantly falling over and bagging into stuff and Gonzo's constantly telling the kids in the audience what's happening in case they don't get it and then you have this really really clever stuff like the ghost of Christmas present not being able to remember anything because his mind's so filled with the here and now and just the practical way that those puppets are all put together is really good as well particularly with that ghost of Christmas present I think that was like a huge almost animatronic that was being controlled somewhat by someone in a suit but also someone behind the scenes with like a remote control as well and the way it moves so elegantly but you know all that sophisticated clunky technology is there behind the scenes as well is really impressive to me i think throughout to be honest the fact that it actually does feel like such an elegant film but you just know for a fact that because of the amount of puppetry and the amount of 
you know the amount of <laughs> barnyard animals that are around every corner it will have been actually a very difficult film to to put together you know you know surprisingly difficult to put together mm. but it doesn't look like that when you watch it it all feels very breezy and and fun yeah i i can imagine it also have that it could have totally failed if so if you listen to the the or read the original it, it's it's pretty serious you know there there isn't really anything i don't think there's anything funny at all it's definitely gothic and spooky um the original charles dickens story here we have two Charles Chickens. <laughs> Charles, yeah, Charles, Charles Chickens. Um, ch- change his name to be taken more seriously. Um, yeah, so so you've got this very 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 serious, very spooky story, and you here got two attempts at making the story funny. Why would it be funny? What of all things would make you take this very serious story and tell it with puppets? I'm not quite sure why it works. I think Johnny's point about the kind of fae element of the of the Muppets is really good, but. I can see how it could have really, really gone wrong. There was a lot riding on this as well from the perspective of the Muppets creators, because this was the first creative project that, like feature film project that they worked on after Jim Henson had died. Mm-hmm. And Brian Henson is is Jim Henson's son. So there was a lot at stake, I think, as to what the Muppets would be going forward. Um, so I think they felt that pressure as well at the time. But they obviously worked really hard and thought really hard about it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I... I found, um, as I've already said, the Muppets Christmas Carol very, very effective. And I found that the original Dickens very effective. And it made me think about how good a parable can be. So, you know, I've often thought that the parable, I don't know if that's quite the right word for this, but, you know, it's simplistic, it's obvious, it's somewhat didactic. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel like I was being patronized. Um, how, how did you guys find it? Yeah, I was having similar thoughts um, because, again, like I found, I found this the, listening to the listening to an audiobook, the original Christmas Carol and Muppets, both quite moving. And I'm not quite sure why, because on the face of it, you might think it's quite a kind of simple moralizing story uh, with quite an obvious mm-hmm. message. But again, I think again, partly it's probably just to do with the execution, which is very well written in the case of the book and and acted in the case of um, Muppets. Um, but I think, yeah, so what it does is it combines, first of all, it is just a good story. So it combines a, a wintry, gothic-y Christmas story, which is always a good start in my book, with this redemptive fable, which although, again, it kind of is, might be kind of couched in sort of maybe Christian, through a Christian lens, nonetheless, it has a kind of universal appeal. Mm-hmm. And I think a little detail for me is that at the heart of the story is this idea that it's never too late to start being a good person. And I think that speaks to the adults who are watching it. So it's simple enough for kids mm-hmm. to understand. But the fact that Scrooge is an old man who has wasted his entire life, and yet by the end of the film, he's in love with life, I think is very powerful. And I think Muppets does a good job of carrying that baton. And perhaps something that's lost in Scrooge, a little detail, is that he is actually quite a young guy in his prime still. He hasn't wasted mm, yeah, he funny. hasn't wasted decades of his life, so it's like the stakes are are not as high. And, and in, interestingly, right? Do you, so you know, there's that scene in Scrooge where he's, um, while he's on, you know, on his way up to the top, he's playing this kid's character. Mm. Oh yeah, he's, he's on his hands and knees in a dog. Yeah, ex- costume. exactly. Exactly. And after he's finished, um, his uh, his girlfriend Claire has mm-hmm. has come to, 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 I think, to tell him that they're going to dinner with with friends. Or to remind him or to collect him, and he, and he's saying, "No, I've got dinner with my boss. This is great. You can't pass up an opportunity like this." And that's that's basically the cause of their breakup because uh, he he doesn't take their friendships and and you know the core relationships in his life seriously enough. I actually empathised with him there. I thought, well, 
No, no, you've just been given this great <laughs> opportunity to go and have dinner with your boss. You can see your friends on next... Christmas Eve, man. You can see your friends next. You can see your. Well, you can see your friends on, uh, you know, a New Year. He is um, the Scrooge of the family. I, I am the Scrooge on I, Christmas <laughs> Eve. I am the Scrooge of the family, but, but you know, where's you know, I, I thought Scrooge in Dickens' original and in The Muppets' Christmas Carol was wrong in the way he treated people and dismissed those who were who were trying to be kind to him. Whereas in Scrooge, I I was on his side in in that particular instance. I would actually say I didn't think that scene was that well written. It seemed quite sudden to me. Um, mm-hmm. They seemed to be madly in love, and then within a moment, she was like, "Oh, we're breaking up now." And I, I don't know. To me, that that was my personal takeaway from that scene that it just didn't flow very well. It seemed a bit unrealistic. Yeah, in a weird in a weird way, despite the fact that in the Muppets Christmas Carol, Gonzo is leading the kids of the audience by the hand through the story and explaining everything to them. I didn't feel it was overly didactic. And I think that was partly why it worked for me as an adult is because of his commentary on top of the explanatory parts. Whereas in Scrooged, that was very, very heavy handed. It was, oh, it's not quite the same thing, you know, so she wasn't telling the audience, so now we're literally going to break up. But it was um, it was time for that scene in the film. And and, yeah, and they came along yeah. and they did it in a in a really I just don't see it working like that in in in, in reality. Yeah, it's like they, they needed that to happen, so they they just made the characters yeah exactly made those decisions, which is in effect just telling the audience what's happening rather than you know showing the audience what's happening. Um, yeah, coming back to what you said, Matthew, about the Scrooge versus Frank and their depiction. And you're saying Frank is somewhat sympathetic. And I think in certain scenes, and I think also he's quite likable even when he isn't sympathetic. And that makes for a slightly uncomfortable viewing. You know, even when he's being a bit of an arsehole, he's still got a bit of a badass. You know, he's funny. He still kind of likes his brother, even if he doesn't want to spend Christmas with him. I found myself kind of being on his side from the beginning in some ways. But then also at the same time, Frank seems to me to be actually a worse person than Scrooge because with Scrooge, he's a, he's a, you know he's a grump, he's a misanthrope who he's not actively cruel to people. He just he's just selfish, not selfish, but cold and uncaring and unkind. He might even think in some perverted way. He talks about giving his taxes to the poor houses in his own perverted way. He might think that he's actually doing what's best for society. Whereas mm-hmm. he's got that kind of you know Malthusian population control mm-hmm. thing going on. Whereas with Frank, he seems to actually be a sadist. He seems to delight in firing his workers. Yeah. I think Scrooge's grounding in a real-life philosophy, which, as you said, could be taken as a an actual tenable moral position, just makes him more believable. It's something something realistic to fight against and, and, and to argue against. And I found it I found it particularly effective because I think we we have something similar today, at least in the UK and in America, uh, a, a similar kind of opinion, you know, about the deserving and undeserving poor again, and you know, the need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, a sort of anti kindness, especially towards homeless people, right? Well, okay, so that's interesting. So maybe actually, you maybe you could defend Scrooge by saying that there is a commentary on maybe eighties exaggerated 80s business culture so whereas in the victorian age the trope is you have this very miserable very protestant um, businessman who lives in this very spartan home mm-hmm. who thinks again as you say that he's doing he's doing the right thing by living this by living this life whereas the perhaps the stereotype of the 80s businessman is you know excess cocaine and hookers <laughs> selfish you, you know you're not even thinking about others you don't even try to justify it. it's all about the um the self 
And so maybe it does make sense to that degree. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would probably agree with that. And actually, it'd be interesting. I think what would be the contemporary modern adaptation of of Scrooge if it, you know, if it doesn't already exist? I'm sure it has been attempted. Because what would be the kind of the present day equivalent of of a Scrooge character, and how how would you portray that? It is, it is an interesting thought. I think. I think it would probably be the billionaire tech baron who 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 believes they're doing good for the world. Uh, with the kind of you know, whatever whatever platform it is they're releasing onto the world, something like that. Mm-hmm. By the end of the film, they're willing to pay some taxes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's enough from you two. Shall we go to a quiz? Oh yeah, I love a quiz. Just remember, David, I play to win. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm okay. I'm ready. Let's let's do this. Let's do this. As Dickens taught us, the true spirit of Christmas is unabashed competition. So let's celebrate with a quiz. This episode, Matt will be taking Dan's place, small boots to fill, facing David in a triumphant test of trivia. As always, we'll be keeping account of the total scores. Given Dan isn't here to be bullied in person, we will not be transferring any points earned by Matt to Dan. So I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think it's only fair. Does that mean I get Matt's point if he wins? Like both ways. Like, do I win both ways here? Do I not need to even bother? I think ultimately nobody wins um, in this quiz. That's true. That is true. Except capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, are you both ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I have to think about that, but yeah, no, I'm definitely ready. All right. Here we go. Question one. The Muppets Christmas Carol did modestly well at the box office, but is considered to have suffered due to competition from which film? A. Aladdin B. Home Alone 2 C. Honey, I Blew Up the Kids or D. Basic Instinct Ooh, hmm. Well, okay, so I probably shouldn't do my, my working out out loud, but 1992, I'm pretty sure Aladdin was 1992, but I don't know if that was regarded as a Christmas release or released around that time of year. I mean, I don't even know if Muppet Christmas Carol was released around Christmas. So you would assume that they would release it around that time. I guess it's not a, a summer <laughs> summer film. Um, but Home Alone is like, as we've discussed in a previous podcast, that's a big Christmas film, isn't it? So my my personal lean would probably be it would be Home Alone too. But I don't know if that was 1992. I I think I think thematically the Muppets Christmas Carol has the most in common with Basic Instinct, so that probably makes the two of them the the most likely competitors. <laughs> the audience share exactly exactly they, they they've got the two the two closest demographics, and if you can only afford to go see one film, um, I have to say I'm actually erring towards uh, Home Alone two for similar reasons uh, to David because I I don't know. Aladdin feels like more of a summer film <laughs> set in a hot country. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going I'm to go for Home Alone 2. Okay, and you, David? Yeah, I, I think I'll go for Home Alone 2 as well. Um, Home Alone 2, 2. <laughs> well, you are both correct. The answer is be Home Alone 2. A nice, easy one to get started. Ooh, okay, okay. Oh, well, that doesn't really help things. We're, we're still on level. level <laughs> All right, um... Question two. In an interview, Kermit the Frog stated that the most important piece of acting advice ever given to him was by Sir Michael Caine on the set of The Muppet Christmas Carol. His advice was what? (laughs) 
A, be on time. I didn't know Kermit did interviews. Sorry, I didn't. I really didn't know they were interviewing Kermit. A, be on time. B, never blink. C, don't work with children or animals. Or D, beware Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, okay, I've um, listened to, to, to Michael Caine being interviewed a couple of times. I, I, I think he would give really practical, down-to-earth advice like be on timer. But I can imagine Michael Caine, Michael Caine saying something like, you know, that the reason why I was successful is because I was always in time when all the other actors were, were were drunk or something like that. And it seems like he's very professional. Yeah, you're only the only problem though. There is was Kermit giving the sincere exactly quote exactly. from I, I, from Michael Caine. I mean, I think I think I think for the I feel like we're working together in this, David. <laughs> yeah, the guest is Christmas. I don't know. Exa- exa- I, I'm we're, feeling we're, festive. We're working together to take points away from Dan and give them to you. Um, exactly. I, exactly. I think. <laughs> I think. Um, I think for the yeah, a funny interview he would say children and animals to work with children and animals. I was thinking that, but I, you know, I think that feels like a Johnny answer to me because isn't that the typical thing that actors say in advice? Like that's like the stock phrase, isn't it? And I think possibly it could be don't blink because Kermit doesn't really blink, does he? Although to be fair, Kermit would already know that advice. No, I, you know what? I'm, no, I'm sticking with the blinking. I think I could I could see Kermit saying that, so I'm going to stick with the blinking. And if he didn't say that, he should have because that's pretty funny. Okay, so we're going with Matthew, going with uh, don't work with children animals, and David with never blink. Well, the correct answer is B, never blink. Well oh done, yes! David. All right, so two one. I know Kermit like a best friend. <laughs> I really enjoyed listening to your your reasoning there, both of you. I'm glad you're taking this quiz with uh, affording it the proper respect that it deserves. <laughs> okay, uh, question three: the theatrical trailer for Muppets infamously borrowed music from which 1980s film? Was it A. Ghostbusters, B. Gremlins? C. Beetlejuice or D. A Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> It's funny because I, I could see Scrooge taking any of those Yeah uh, I, I mean I, I guess like it doesn't as long as the music works right it doesn't really matter what, what, you, what you've taken it from uh, I'm just going to go with A Nightmare on Elm Street because it's, it's, it seems the most, the most sensational Okay and you David? Well, there's a lot of good music in the Muppet Christmas Carol, so I'm surprised they wouldn't have just leaned on their kind of the thing that sets the film yeah. apart. Why wouldn't they have just used the the music from the film? Is that a rights thing? Are you not allowed to? Do you have to pay for it if your own music? I, I don't understand how this works. Um, that is really interesting. I think, as Matt said, they all sound like they would be for Scrooge. I feel like I'm misunderstanding the question, and I know as well for a fact that. They played into the Ghostbusters Bill Murray thing quite a bit with Scrooge because they were like, oh, it's Bill Murray's back again with some ghosts. Not that that really helps with this question, but a bit a bit of trivia there. Um, hmm. Let's go with Ghostbusters. Why not? That would be a, a nice poetic balance of some description. <laughs> no, this is Ghostbusters. Well, you are both wrong. It's C, Beetlejuice. Hmm. Although, I'm now questioning myself. I mean, it does seem odd, doesn't it? Um, I'm wondering if I just read this or saw it and read it somewhere. Um, but uh, apparently, yeah, it was used in the original trailer. Perhaps the music wasn't ready yet, and uh, it wasn't used in any subsequent promotion. That's really interesting. Who made Beetlejuice? Tim Tim Burton, I think. That's what I thought. I, I, I can actually make sense. I, I, there's, there's some kind of 
crossover isn't there between a Tim Burton movie and, and the Muppets in terms of the f- uh, kind of character of them. Mm. Yeah, but I would almost say that Tim Burton's sensibility is more like Scrooge, actually. And Danny Elfman did the music in Scrooge, I mm. think, which I think would be would be true for Beetlejuice as well, probably. I mean, I know they collaborate quite a lot. Okay, uh, question four. Bill Murray has stated in an interview that the biggest challenge making Scrooge was what? A, working with Richard Donner, the director. B, being the leading man. C, filming during summertime. Or D, suffering a severe allergy to fake snow. But I don't know if there's that much fake snow in Scrooge that I picked up on. Working, well, if you had a director you didn't go with, that, that, that would be really difficult. I know Bill Murray seems professional enough that he could uh, he could work with anyone. I, I don't know anything about Bill Murray. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with snow, fake snow. Okay. Going with snow. And how about you, David? I actually think it could be um, it could be the director because I have a feeling that the production was slightly more chaotic than you'd expect. Well, maybe not more than you'd expect, but yeah, I, I think it I think it might be I think it might be Richard Donner. Well. You are correct, David, that he had a lot of trouble working with Richard Donner. They didn't get on well. And I think um, Bill Murray actually complained that Richard Donner um, told him to shout too much. Right. That's not the right answer. Oh. Um, he said that the biggest challenge was being the leading man, not being part of an ensemble cast like he was in oh. Ghostbusters. All right, final question. <clears throat> Currently 2-1 to David. Neither of you doing very well today. <laughs> movie... Well, I'm winning, so that, that that's all about. <laughs> that's all the that matter, yeah. Okay, so movie critic Roger Ebert said, what was the worst film adaptation of A Christmas Carol he had ever seen? Was it A, A Muppet's Christmas Carol, B, Scrooged, C, Mickey's Christmas Carol, <laughs> or D, Die Hard? I'm really annoyed with myself because I almost read his review of, of uh, Muppet's Christmas Carol yesterday and I didn't. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think he'd like Scrooged. The guy's got taste most of the time. Um, I, I, I know nothing about the about, about Mickey. I grew up watching that and it's pretty good. All right. I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm biased. Thanks, thanks, thanks for that information, David. Uh, all right, I'm going to go with Scrooged. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and how about you, David? I think possibly... Well, I would agree with Matt. I think I could imagine him being fairly critical of Scrooge, and I do get it. Uh, I I just have some feeling that maybe... I could sort of imagine him watching The Muppets and being really offended by, by all the all the characters, all the, you know, all the animals and stuff. So I, I, th- I think I'm, I'm going to go with Muppets. Okay, you're going with Muppets. Well, this is very tense. So either David is one, or it's a draw. Do. And... It's a draw because <gasps> the answer is B Scrooged. Wow. So that's two points to both of you. What a twist. Well, you did very well on your first quiz, Matt. Thank you very much. I, I actually used deception to try and mislead David there because I did read the Roger Ebert review uh, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not, that's illegal, surely. <laughs> well, congratulations, both of you. Uh, you win a lifetime supply of A Christmas Carol <laughs> or a romantic dinner with Bill Murray, your choice. <laughs> Okay, let's go to the scorecards. So, Matt, as our guest, let's start with you. Which film wins our seasonal brawl? Muppet Christmas Carol or Scrooged? Definitely a Muppet's Christmas Carol. 
like I like I said before, I just think it's um, relentless in its um, pacing and gags and ability to appeal to multiple audiences, kids and adults, different kinds of humor, while at the same time somehow getting the pacing of quite a, a slow story just right. I didn't really think there was a wrong move in it. And I tend to be very skeptical of kids' films and animation. Not that I don't like them. I just often think that they are patronizing or dumbed down. And I, th- I thought, this was, I thought, I think maybe this was even a better telling of a Christmas Carol than Dickens's Christmas Carol. Oh, well, David, how about you? Yeah, I, um, I would agree with everything Matt said about the Muppet Christmas Carol. I think. I mean, I. I as I said, I, I don't think it grabbed me in the way that I was hoping. I really had heard a lot of good things. I know for a lot of people, this is like, you know, the go-to film. They have it on DVD. They stick it on every year. And I can understand that, totally understand that. I do think it could be the definitive Christmas Carol movie. I think it has everything that you would want in terms of the dramatics of the story, but also it is really funny. It's really accessible. And it takes, you know, it takes the source material really seriously. But I preferred Scrooge, I think, ultimately, um, just because it felt very unique to me as a Christmas film. I don't think you get many Christmas films that have the tone of Scrooge. And I think for that alone, it stands out to me as a unique, interesting film that just doesn't quite get the justice that it deserves. I, I do get that it's uneven. I mean, it's all over the shop, but that for me is kind of what's enjoyable about it. It's it's such an anarchic Looney Tunes ride that, as I say, you don't see very often in a Christmas film. Usually Christmas films are very padded and soft and nice, whereas this is a real mad ride, and I, I really appreciate that. Does it beat Arnold Schwarzenegger's Jingle All The Way? I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to say that outright. Jingle All The Way is still the top-tier Christmas film in my mind. Um, I think really we should only ever be comparing films, not just Christmas films, but cr- film at large film as a medium to jingle all the way and i i uh i really do love it we'll have to find a way next year to do jingle all the way <laughs> have to find some excuse i hope so i hope so well i guess it's up to me then to determine the winner um and uh yeah i think scrooge has its moments i like the setup i like a lot of the anarchic comedy but to me doesn't quite live up to that set up and i think particularly the end for me really drops the ball the muppets i think is a really earnest film that does a great job of balancing the muppetry with the dramatic performances and i think it never loses the soul of the original story so overall i'm gonna have to say the muppets is the winner and that makes muppets the winner of this episode congratulations muppets wow wow fair enough fair enough it's a good film well thank you gentlemen for your expert noel itch and thank you for your attention dear listeners remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you're feeling especially christmasy why not leave us a review follow us on facebook and twitter to receive the latest remake rumble rumors slanders and live updates on daniel's sleighbound journey across the globe this christmas eve (laughs) so from all of us at remake rumble merry christmas a happy new year and as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was, that was, wow.
I really thought you were playing a clip from the Muppet Christmas Carol, and I thought we were going to have to be careful about copyright. That, 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 that was Dan, by the way. He just, he just came back. Uh, <laughs> to... It's a Christmas miracle. 